Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. Professional wrestling has always been dominated by larger-than-life personalities and equally large human beings. A sport that once had a carnival sideshow feel to it was brought into the mainstream and into the living rooms of millions of people by a man with an equally large ego and a persona unlike any CEO I've ever seen. Vince McMahon has been the undeniable figurehead and leader of the largest professional wrestling circuit since 1982 and has introduced us to a cast of characters that have become household names. Guys like Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and John Cena are all products of McMahon's WWE empire and have helped the businessman become a legitimate billionaire in the process. But as we've seen many times in life, the ladder to the top doesn't come without stepping on some of the people on your way up. Whether it's rumors of rampant steroid usage, sleeping with the female talent on the show, or farting in the face of your right-hand man, McMahon's controversial behavior over the years has landed him in some hot water as well as real-life courtrooms. We'll dive into some of the stories that have crafted the image of the buff billionaire, as well as some of the behind-the-scenes issues that brought him into the asshole court stand today. Like his intro music says, there's no chance in hell that Vince McMahon doesn't emerge from our courtroom with a slightly higher score than the average man. So, throw on your tights, lather up in baby oil, and enjoy this episode of Asshole Court! All right, guys, what are your initial thoughts on Vince McMahon? All right, so I grew up a, a huge wrestling fan, especially with the WWF in the 80s. I switched more to WCW in the 90s, like a lot of people did, and that's sort of about the point where I gave up on wrestling. So I, I missed out on a lot of the, the big years with like The Rock and Stone Cold and stuff like that. I didn't know anything about Vince McMahon when I was a kid in the 80s and have only really heard stuff about him i guess for the past couple decades you know when he tried to do the xfl thing early on in 01 or so you know he's always seemed like if you hear about certain things like the screw job he's dicked over a lot of the wrestlers is what the surface level story is in my mind so going based on that i'm gonna give him a boilerplate five to start out with and uh see what i hear after that all right 5.0 for mikey buddy what you got all right, so I didn't really follow Vince McMahon that much. I mean, for me, wrestling was all right, but I mean, like, I didn't really love it as much. It was entertaining to watch a little bit, but I mean, like, I enjoyed playing pro wrestling on the NES more 
back in the day than watching uh, actual wrestling. You know, I was a big fan of like King Slender and Giant Panther more so than, uh, <laughs> than what was going on. So I, I don't know a lot about Vince McMahon as a person. I do know that he's a very successful businessman. And with me, wrestling is just, it's like, it's a soap opera, man, for guys and girls, uh, for both, you know, where soap operas are just for girls more so, uh, you know, wrestling's at least it caters to both crowds. But so I, it's just hard for me to get into. But, I, you know, that to me doesn't make him an asshole by any stretch of the imagination. So with me not having a lot of information on him right off the rip, I'm going to give Vince McMahon an initial asshole score of a 4.5. If we say the average guy's a 3 to 4. Right. Then um, he's slightly more than a regular asshole. It just I mean, just barely, Joe. barely more than a regular guy. All right. So I was a huge wrestling fan as a kid, and I definitely was into it when I was in high school, which were the glory days. Yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. And they made it, in my mind, legit must-see TV on Monday nights. Mm -hmm. A lot of the Vince McMahon stuff we'll talk about today I didn't know about either. Other than hearing the little snippets of the stuff you'd see in the news uh, every once in a while. On the show, he definitely plays like the asshole villain role to a Sure, team. sure. Oh, man. Does it very well. Yo, absolutely. And it's hard to think that some of that doesn't roll over into, quote unquote, his real life, you know? Sure. So we'll dive into some of the stories that made the man, so to speak, keep it short and sweet. My initial score for Big Vince was 5.0. Okay. There you go. All right. So with Buddy's initial score, 4.5, Mikey in at a 5.0, and Randy in at a 5.0, Vince McMahon's pre-show asshole score is 4.83. All right. All right. You guys ready to roll? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Vincent Kennedy McMahon was born August 24th, 1945 in Pinehurst, North Carolina. There's a super famous golf course in North Carolina called Pinehurst Number no. 2. Mm -hmm. uh, they played the U.S. Open there multiple times. It's one of the more difficult courses in public golf. But uh, McMahon grew up far from a country club lifestyle. His father was a wrestling promoter named Vincent James McMahon, and he divorced Vince's mother, Victoria, when the younger McMahon was still just a baby. Vince was raised poor, and in an interview with Playboy in 2001, he described his youth. He said, we lived in a new moon trailer, eight feet wide. The trailer park isn't poverty. You don't have much privacy, but there are nice things about it. Everything's very compact, and it beats some other places. Prior to that, I lived in Manly, North Carolina, in a house with no indoor plumbing. That could get a little discerning in the wintertime. My Ooh. parents got divorced, and I went with my mom, Vicky. I lived with her and my real asshole of a stepfather, a man who enjoyed kicking people around, Leo Lupton. It's unfortunate that he died before I could kill him. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. He said, I would have enjoyed that. Yeah. Not that he had any redeeming qualities. He was a great athlete, great at any sport, which I admired. And I remember watching the Jackie Gleason show with him. Hmm. So it's just kind of odd to see what you remember as a kid. Yeah. Knowing that the guy was physically abusive towards you. But you're like, yeah. you know, he had some he had some good stuff about him. too. He had a wicked right cross. I mean, he knocked me out <laughs> a number of times. But uh, and that's probably why all I remember is Jackie Gleason. <laughs> I remember taking a dump on the floor in my shithole of the house and, you know, getting knocked out by my step pops and Jackie Gleason. That's how it goes in rural North Carolina. Yeah. Vince was actually raised as Vinny Lupton. Vinny. Vinny Lupton, yep. In that same Playboy interview, Vince detailed some of the abuse he endured as a kid. He said, I was one of the only ones who would speak up, and that's what provoked the attacks. You would think that being on the receiving end of numerous attacks, I would wise up, but I couldn't. I refused to. 
I felt that I should say something, even though I knew what the result would be. So they asked him, so you fought when you hit your mother? Absolutely. First time I remember, I was six years old. The slightest provocation would set him off, but I lived through it. I learned how not to be. One thing I loathe is a man who will strike a woman. There's never an excuse for that. By the time I was 14, I was on my own. I was pretty much a man then, physically at least. In other ways, I'm still becoming a man. The interview then got very personal when a man was questioned about some alleged sexual abuse that occurred when he was a child. Mm. They asked him, was the abuse all physical or was there sexual abuse too? And Vince said, there's not anything I really want to embellish on just because it's weird. And they asked him, did it come from the same man? He said, no, it uh, it wasn't from a male. They yeah, said, take a hint. He doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, right? And they, oh, they kept on. They kept on. They said, that's so mysterious. It sounds like a difficult thing for a kid to deal with. He said, you know, I'm not big on excuses. When I hear people come up from the projects or anywhere else, blame their actions on the way they grew up, I think it's a crock of shit. You can rise above it. This country gives you the opportunity if you want to take it. So don't blame your environment. I look down on people who use their environment as a crutch. They say, uh, surely it must shape a person. He says, yeah, no doubt. But I don't think we escape our experiences. Things you might have pushed to the recesses of your mind, they'll surface at the most inopportune time when you least expect it. That's for damn sure. Yeah. We can use those things, turn them into positives, and change for the better. But they do tend to resurface. And, of course, the Playboy interviewer could not leave it alone. He says, so we can leave that topic. But one thing first. You said that the sexual abuse in your childhood wasn't from the male. It's well known that you're estranged from your mother. Oh, shit. Have we found the reason? God damn, this sounds like Nancy Grace tearing into Elizabeth Smart, you know, when she was like, I don't want to talk about it, but kept on going back to it. Exactly. So they hit him again. Yeah. So, you know, was this the reason? And he paused and nodded. He said, without saying that, I'd say that's pretty close. Mm. So it does sound like he got sexually abused from his mother. Ugh. Woof. Which is usually the opposite way that goes, but I guess women are guilty just like men are. Uh, man, this is already off to a real gross start. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. I, you know, part of it is like, I understand the, uh, Playboy, uh, journalists really wants to get the big tagline to put up there. Like, uh, Vince was molested by his mom, but at a certain point you're like, man, I don't think the guy wants to talk about it. Maybe just leave it alone. He told you he didn't want to talk yeah. about it. But. And he's like, now look, he's like, I got this, uh, WWF, uh, buddy doll here. Why don't you... Why don't you point at Hulk Hogan's body and tell us where your mom touched you? (laughs) It wasn't until Vince was 12 years old that he met his real father and brother. It's said that Vince fell in love with the sport his dad was promoting, but was told by his father not to get involved with the wrestlers. It was during this time, though, that he began to build a strong bond with his father. Vince said that it felt like he went from rags to riches when he would go to visit his dad in Washington, D.C., Vince said, there was just an instant attraction that my dad felt and that I felt. He was just a wonderful, caring, and bright man. According to a Grunge.com article, with the financial aid from his father, McMahon chose to attend military school, but Fishburne Military School in Waynesboro, Virginia would probably have preferred if he didn't. McMahon says he spent a good chunk of his time there playing insane pranks, such as feeding a laxative-laced hamburger to his commandant's dog and stealing his car. Oh, yeah. It's the old shitty dog and steal your car trick. That's it. Oldest one in the book. (laughs) 
Vince McMahon also claims to hold the dubious honor of the first cadet in the school's history to get court-martialed. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah, he uh, was not the most well-behaved kid. Here's a question, though. Do you guys remember back in the day when we were growing up, military school seemed like a real threat. I don't know anybody in my entire life that actually went to a real military school. But you remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Oh, yeah. Remember of he was course. Go to military getting, school? That was why the Wild Stallions were going to have to break up. San Dimas never would have been the same. That's true. Absolutely. We threatened my son with military school a few years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Was Did you have one picked out? Yeah. Up in Gainesville, Georgia. Okay. Riverside Military Academy. All right. We looked at it and saw the price tag. We was like, better get your shit together, <laughs> yeah. kid. That's another thing, too, back in the day. Back in the day, too, it was like, oh, you, you went to summer camp. Like, nowadays, you look at the price for summer camp or military school, and you're like, dude, <laughs> It's only, like apparently only uh, rich kids are assholes that could go to these things. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, apparently I'll, we'll get a canoe and go to the river and act yeah. like we're at summer camp. But I'm not paying two G's for you to go to a two week thing up in the mountains. If you, if I'm going to send you to military school, I'm going to send you to like an Al Qaeda camp because that's all I can afford. <laughs> Yikes! It's free. To, it's free. Don't listen to everything that they say, though. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Vince took his military school education down the road to East Carolina University. Here, ECU. ECU, that's right, the Pirates. Arr. Here, he tells people that he majored in being a badass. and has, yeah. <laughs> It was a double major. And this was actually kind of cool. He had some stories about going out and picking fights with the local Marines. Okay. He said, um, the Marines were in great shape, but they didn't have street fighting experience that McMahon and his gang did. He said, they were big guys, but they were inexperienced fighters. They didn't know what it was like to get punched in the throat or get a thumb in the eye. I thought you were about to say a thumb in the ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I majored in being a badass and minored in the, like uh, sexually explicit awesomeness. <laughs> he graduated in 1968 with a degree in business, but just barely. According to Vince, he had to do some heavy butt kissing to get a few grades changed in order for him to graduate with a stellar 2.0 GPA. All right. Hold on one second yep. to rewind here. So he was fighting marines on the weekends and then getting his business degree oh yeah you know well yeah yeah you yeah, know okay. go out thursday and friday night yeah. get hammered pick a fight yeah you know okay. be back in class on monday morning yeah all right go back to class on monday just yeah. i just connected the two i was like well, you actually graduated usually the people that are fucking off and getting in fights on weekends don't usually graduate so. this is true well he graduated with the 2.0 so you know it wasn't really that much that's Better that than was, I did in high school. <laughs> that's the that's the minimum GPA you had to get to graduate. Okay. Yep, and he got it. McMahon held several jobs after he graduated, including one where he sold paper cups and another where he was crushing rocks at a rock quarry, a job he spent, he says, 90 hours a week at. 90 hours a week. Yeah, that was like him in Goodwill Hunting. He was right there with Matt Damon sitting there hitting like, all those rocks. It seems like right now he's like writing his own tall tale of himself. <laughs> oh, I fought Marines, got a business degree, smashed rocks, and beat John Henry at building railroads. <laughs> Just what I did, you know what I'm saying? Then I fucked your mom. And when I say your mom, I mean everybody reading this story. <laughs> his wife, Linda, will actually vouch for the fact that he worked close to 90 hours a week at the job. He said he got a promotion at the quarry and was pretty much in charge of turning big rocks into small rocks. And he felt like if he didn't do the job, it wouldn't get done right. Me turn big rock into small rock. Oh, that's like 16 hours a day. That's I'm calling bullshit on this one. You, no one is breaking rocks. 
for 18 hours a day. No fucking way, man. Just saying. Is that what it breaks down to? Maybe it was seven About. days a week or still, but that's... No. Yeah. I mean, have you ever been out there? I, I tried to split wood the other day without a fucking a log splitter. My back hurt within like an hour, dude. I'm in decent shape. This guy's out there like crushing rocks for 90 hours a week. And of course, the Linda backs him up. So I have to believe it. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I told my wife, you know, you tell him that if my wife says that that's not true at all. Yeah. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, know what you, know what's you know what to do down there. That's it. Finally, at age 27, he persuaded his father, owner of what was then known as Worldwide Wrestling Federation, to let him promote matches in the Bangor, Maine region after the senior McMahon had a guy leave the company. Okay. In his new role, the young McMahon flourished. Over the next decade, he helped his father's business triple in TV syndication. He also talked his dad into changing the name of their business from the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, a bit of a mouthful, to a little more simple name, World Wrestling Federation. Vince met his wife, Linda McMahon, at East Carolina, and together in 1979, they founded the company Titan Sports. Vince's father's health began to suffer in the early 80s, and in 1982, Vince and his wife purchased Capital Wrestling Corporation from his father. I just figured it out. He wasn't breaking rocks for 90 hours a week. He was breaking rocks for 40 hours a week and balling out other chicks for the other 50 hours. She's like, how was the day at work, Vince? He was like, oh, it's real hard, you know. My back hurts. <laughs> yeah, my back hurts. My super bad. <laughs> Put in a lot of work today. If you could just get that shower going for me. (laughs) Vince had a different vision from the company that his father did and started to make enemies within the business by breaking the unspoken rule of not traveling and broadcasting in other people's quote unquote territories. That was a big deal back then. That's kind of how it works. So wrestling used to be broken down into territories. You had the Northeast Territory, you had the Southeast Territory, and you know, as it kind of spread west, it thinned out. But you would have different little alliances within yeah. the region. It was very. It was a gangland sort of setup. Like yeah. that's my territory. What was this like the AL and the NL, like in baseball or something like that? Oh, way more than that. You had like New South Wrestling. You had yeah. Florida Championship Wrestling. Yep. That was just Florida. You had what uh, was a mountain one. Georgia Mountain Wrestling. Yeah, I think so. Georgia Mountain Wrestling. Um, like that. And then you also had WCW yep. World Championship Wrestling was based that out of Atlanta. There then. That was back in the day. That was early. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I know Ted Turner bought WCW. That's I correct. Think, I think he bought a few and then combined them or something. Anyways, I don't know. Go ahead. Funny side note. Rumor is that Vince McMahon used to send Ted Turner letters telling him that his product was so inferior, you just need to get it off the air. It's total trash. Oh, yeah. oh man. Uh-huh. I actually went to a Ted Turner WCW wrestling match back when I was like seven years old. I did too at the Omni. That's we a, saw yeah. Goldberg win the belt yes. at the Georgia Dome. Oh, that we was snuck so down ringside. Yep. We'll get into that. Yeah. McMahon started to sign wrestlers to his company, poaching them away from his competitors. McMahon met Hulk Hogan in 1979 and was impressed with his physique and charisma. Terry Bollea. That's him. At the time, the Hulkster was wrestling under the name Terry the Hulk Boulder. Vince told him he wanted Hulk to have an Irish last name and also told him he wanted his hair to be red. (laughs) Hulk agreed to take on the last name. Yeah, already losing his hair by this time. And he said, I'm just going to have to be a blonde Irishman. Hogan first wrestled for Vince for about a year, actually as a bad guy or a heel, as they call him in the industry, and then went to Japan to wrestle for a few years, but eventually came back to Vince. When Vince bought the WWF from his father, he decided that Hulk Hogan was going to be his first centerpiece. This was a solid move, Vince. Yeah. According to Hogan's Wikipedia page, 
Over the next year, Hogan became the face of professional wrestling as McMahon pushed the WWF into a pop culture enterprise with the rock and wrestling connection on MTV, drawing record houses, pay-per-view buy rates, and television ratings in the process. The centerpiece attraction for the first WrestleMania on March 31, 1985, Hogan teamed with his legit friend and TV and movie star, Mr. T, Mm -hmm. to defeat his arch-rival, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. Hold on a second. Mr. T was in wrestling? Yeah, absolutely. Only for the WrestleMania thing. Only for WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan. I, I remember renting that from Blockbuster back when I was about 14. I, I think I, I'm not, not even kidding. Like, I rented it, like, multiple times to watch. the. It was the first WrestleMania. It was a Blockbuster event. Oh. I don't mean that just for Blockbuster video, but legitimately <laughs> Blockbuster. I think it was at the Pontiac Dome. It Pontiac Silverdome. Pontiac Silverdome. That was a different one. The, that was the one they had over 90,000 fans okay. in there, and he body slammed Andre the Giant for the, the first person to ever body slam Andre the Giant. That's right. So Damn. I saw both of those, but yeah. I did see the Mr. T one against Rowdy Roddy Piper. It's just like... The perfect piece of 80s Americana, I think. So we know Hulk Hogan's a big dude. Random guess. What do you guys think? Height and weight, Hulk Hogan. Uh, I'm going to go 6'5", 270 pounds. All right, buddy. I'm going 6'4", 240. Hulk Hogan is six foot seven, three hundred and two pounds. Wow! Jesus Christ! Remember when he fought Rocky and he threw Rocky out of the ring? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I never saw that. That was in Rocky Three, I believe. <laughs> so during this time, Hogan was named the most requested celebrity of the 1980s Make-A-Wish Foundation children's charity. He was also featured on the cover of TV Guide, People Magazine, also appearing on The Tonight Show, and having his own CBS Saturday morning cartoon titled Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Look here, brother. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Roll Wrestling. I'm going to pull out my dong out of my banana shorts, and you're going to love it. The kids are going to love Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> And honestly, even bringing up the TV Guide makes me feel old because yeah. I remember TV Guide like when deal. it was a thing. Oh, yeah, it was a huge deal. Now, that shit's right on your cable. You know what oh, I mean? There's yeah. no yeah, TV sure. Guide. It's, you know, it's, again, one of the aged uh, wonders that have just kind of aged itself yeah. out of our society. It's true. Because the TV Guide was a big deal. Like, it if you made the cover deal. of it, it was a big thing. 20 yeah. channels, brother, and I'm on the cover of the TV Guide hanging my dong out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, remember that girl that we used to hang out with back in the day, and over at her house, they got the Nielsen box. (laughs) Yep. I remember this. Back before they had these kind of algorithms where they could track what you were watching, they had to have a box that would come to your house, and you would have to sign in. They had, you know, like user one, two, three, or four, and it was designated to the person. And yep. you would log in as soon as you sat down at the TV. You know, it would monitor what you would watch. Yeah. Well, the girl's house that we went over to back <laughs> in the day, the naughty porno channels were 98 and 99. Spice. And they would have squigglies. Like, you couldn't that's see right. it unless you subscribed to it. Oh, yeah. there's a titty, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a squiggly titty, brother. Uh, yeah. We would and we would on and leave it. On channel 98 and 99 under the 16-year-old girl's account while we were there. <laughs> Leave it for hours. Because we were over there constantly. So, yeah, your TV guide, the Nielsen ratings, squiggly titties on the channel 98 99, brother. <laughs> you know, I have to wonder if, like, they sat there in the customer service department and they were like, dude, check out this one house over in uh, Georgia. Oh, yeah, There's probably, like, Honestly, probably hundreds of accounts that were just watching steady porno. (laughs) (laughs) Hogan, as the premier WWF icon, headlined seven of the first eight WrestleMania events. 
He also co-hosted Saturday Night Live on March 30th, 1985, during the lucrative run. This one I thought pretty interesting. AT&T reported that the 900 information line that Hogan ran while with, he was with the WWF was the single biggest 900 number from 1991 to 1993. He said, brother, I beat out Corey Haim and Corey Feldman in the 900 number. <laughs> That is some pretty big names to beat out in the 90s, oh, man. No, there Matt. was that other line we'd call for fun because it was a 1-800 number, <sighs> but you had to put a credit card. It's called 1-800-FAT-LADY. And we would dial in it on the pay phones. Like, I remember we would be at the pool, uh, you know, summertime, and then we would go over there and be like, check this out. And you'd dial it, and it would be like, hey, this is Tina Tonnage. And I, <laughs> <laughs> Tina yeah, Tonnage. Yeah, 1-800-FAT-LADY. <laughs> I miss the 800 to 900 numbers. They were a special place in our history that, that nobody can have anymore because porn is way too free now. Yeah. Hey, guys, real quick. If you're liking the show, do us a favor and give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're catching us on. It makes a huge difference. Now back to asshole court. So during this time, Vince was the on-air announcer for the WWF. No one really knew that he was the owner of the company and was the one calling all the shots. This formula he used for Hogan would be similar to the ones he used with other superstars that he groomed later down the line. In the mid-1990s, Vince got himself way more involved with the storylines and was formally introduced into the public eye as the chairman of the company. He would continue to bring celebrities of other industries into the WWF for added flair to his storylines. In 1998, McMahon had Mike Tyson on the show for a while, for real? Yeah. At first, trying to start a feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin, but he actually wound up helping Stone Cold take home the championship belt. The first time they got into the ring together, they had Stone Cold and Tyson do a stare down, leading to Stone Cold giving him a bird right in Mike Tyson's face. And Tyson <laughs> shoved him. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I can't believe he flipped yeah. me off. Can you believe the nerve of this guy? <laughs> uh, Tyson's entourage uh, and security jumped in and broke it up. And to this day, McMahon is still heavily involved in the day-to-day tapings of the show and pretty much every creative angle and story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that being said, let's start to dive into why Vince McMahon is the subject of today's show. Like I just said, Vince has total control over the storylines, who does what and what the end results will be. One of the things he's been criticized for is that he wants all of his talent to give great ideas for storylines, but quote, 99 out of 100 ideas get scrapped for Vince's plan. It's said that he often changes the script just before the taping of the show and will even give instruction to employees ringside at the announcer's table mid-show. Yeah. So he definitely likes to control what's going on. <clears throat> that sucks. Uh, I mean, if you're just an employee in that. I don't mind that, but I have a problem with the fact that he makes you give all this input and all that and then just scraps it. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to fucking right. control the show, just control the show. But it's well, like any other job where exactly. like you give a bunch of good ideas to your boss. He's like, hmm, those are good ideas. <laughs> yeah. Get the fuck back to your office. Yeah. Or they're like, that seems good. And then right before they implement your idea, they change it last minute and fuck it all up. You're right. like, God damn it. Dude. Yeah. Some of the storylines that McMahon has come up with over the years have gotten him where he is today. A successful businessman with a product that continues to be watched for over 40 years now. But unfortunately, many of the storylines he's worked into the act show just how fucked up he can be. So let's dive in and look at a few here. Considered one of, if not the greatest, wrestling announcers of all time is a guy by the name of Jim Ross. Good old JR, as he's called, has been a fixture at the announcer's table for decades now and has the love and admiration of many fans. Ross unfortunately developed Bell's palsy. As you know, it causes one side of your face to droop and can also affect your speech. 
Vince thought it would be a good idea to play up JR's disability on live TV. During one backstage sketch, McMahon is seen with a guy named Hornswoggle, who is a little person wrestler. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use the uh, PC term there. Mm-hmm. Mocking Ross's speech and facial expressions. Okay. He got on Ross's trademark black cowboy hat and is pretty much just making fun of the dude's disability with his speech and the way he's holding his face. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. Yeah. There wasn't any story behind it and any buildup used for any storyline. He just decided to be a dick to one of his better employees. Okay. Guy. Don't feel bad about this. Maybe <laughs> let me explain why. You just said it affects your speech. People have to understand why Jr. is sounding like he is. So I think he's just making a point to say, "Look, you have Bell's palsy." I don't know about that, Mikey. No, no, no. I'm going with this. I don't care. <laughs> I do not give a shit. I'm going to be honest. And JR signed off on this and was like, all right, cool. Run it. I have Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy isn't a deadly disease. It is just, you know, it's aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think, uh, you know, who gives a fuck? Well, <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> to stop there. Okay. All right. So uh, Ross had colon surgery one time and was this at home. a little different. Yeah. And uh, was at home recovering. Mm-hmm. Vince thought this would be a good time to again pick on his employee. He came up with a sketch where he would pull stuff out of Jim's butt. <laughs> and, and instead of pulling three things out of a prosthetic Jim Ross butt and calling it a sketch, <laughs> he pulled out a football, a goldfish, an owl, an Oklahoma Sooners helmet, some Steve Austin merchandise, a replica of Ross's own head, and more. Oh my God. For this lengthy sketch, what match did this set up? Nothing. It led to nothing. It was just seven minutes of really bad comedy making fun of a man who's employed by you sitting at home recovering from colon surgery. So just imagine sitting at home and watching the show that you broadcast and seeing your <laughs> boss pull items out of an imaginary your ass. It could have been worse. He could have pulled a huge dildo out. True. <laughs> he pulled a football helmet out of his ass. I mean, he pulled his own Jim Ross head out of his own ass. I think that was the most insulting one. It was basically saying, like, get your head out of your own ass. And he knew JR is a huge Oklahoma Sooners football fan. Yeah. He's actually, it's funny, when the Sooners actually get to a big nationally televised game, he's always there. And they always show sure. a little clip of JR down there. We were all having a bit of a laugh at it. It's impossible. <laughs> it was, you know what I'm saying? It's not great, but uh, it makes for. Pretty funny television, I guess. <laughs> All right. So we'll keep going down the All funny right. television route here. Then you have Vince's great idea of having employees literally kiss his bare ass on TV. Oh. Six employees of the WWE have become members of the Kiss My Ass Club by literally placing their lips on McMahon's backside during the course of a WWE event. William Regal, Jim oh, Ross. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Lord Stephen Regal Lord kissed Stephen his Regal. ass? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jim Ross, Shawn Michaels. And he really doesn't like Jim Ross. Mm. Shane McMahon, his own son, made, uh, made him kiss his dad's ass. <laughs> you made your own son kiss your ass? Especially after the whole mom and where did the, your mom touch you on the doll thing. It's weird to have yeah. your kid kiss your ass. Yeah, yeah he's got everything. Uh, Mick Foley, also known as Mankind or Dude Love. And uh, the little person wrestler Hornswoggle, which you got a, a little person kissing your ass just odd yeah it doesn't matter how loyal the employees were if the ass kissing helped their careers or what the specific technical details were 
There's no doubting that none of the personalities actually wanted to perform the deeds that their boss did to, but of course they did sign off on it. So. They signed off on it, but they also have their jobs hung over their head as well. Yeah, I was about to say there had to be some kind of like legal document side prior to that happening on stage, you know? Oh, yeah. But it's also like a continuous theme because these ass kissings didn't occur on one show. It's occurred over years. So every, I don't know, every few months, like Vince McMahon is sitting on the toilet. He's like, yeah, I think it'd be a good idea to have another one of those guys kiss my ass. Let's do that. <laughs> Write that to the show. Now. Then in 1997, WWE wrestler Flying Brian Pillman was found dead in his hotel room just hours before he was to go on stage. Vince knew that this was going to be a bad look for him and his company, another wrestler dead before their time, and he tried to instill what I guess you could call damage control, but wound up being one of the worst judgment calls he's had. He had Brian Pillman's wife on his show just one day after her husband's death. Ooh. McMahon grilled her about the painkillers her husband took and no. asked if she thought it was too many. What? Then he really got personal with questions like, have you had any opportunity to think about what you, as a single parent, will do now to support your five children? The look was very bad for McMahon and the WWE, but it just goes to show that Vince will do damn near anything to get ratings. Damn, man. His interview style is very Nancy Gracious. Oh, man. Well, that's the thing. He was the commentator forever. He was the ringside mm -hmm. commentator and he would do in-ring interviews. And like I, I it never turned earlier. off. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. He was the commentator before he was the chairman. Right. No, he was the chairman the whole time. Yeah. But just pretending played. to yeah, be. Just or uh, yeah. It's a little different, though, instead of being like, how bad are you going to beat this guy's ass in WrestleMania 17? And then being like, how did your husband die? How many pills did he take? Yeah. Yeah, that's fucked up, man. I don't know why I went back to the Hulk Hogan voice. <laughs> <laughs> However, I did read another story that talked about what McMahon did for Pillman's wife. It said that Vince paid her out for the rest of Brian's contract, as well as write her several big checks over the years, and paid off her house, which is about to go into foreclosure. Okay. I don't think he should have asked her to be on Raw the next day, but his other actions far outweigh that one. Was Speaking of Raw... You're like, yeah, yeah, right. A little raw. Man, Let's get you on here and talk about and this. And for her to agree to go on a day after, I don't think she was anticipating those type questions. Well, and this is, oh, well, he dangled a bunch of money in front of her, probably. This yeah. is the other thing too. When we talk about kissing ass, and yes, they all sign off on it, but there is the implicit threat of losing your livelihood. I believe, which even though he doesn't say like explicitly, like if you don't do this, you're gone. I don't know what his personality type is, but it very well could be you feel like I just am obligated to do this to just get through this. So that's right. not cool. Yeah. The JR stuff, I don't have a problem with. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know that professional wrestling is fake and scripted, and the WWE tries its damnedest to put up the facade that what you're seeing is real. In one of the rare instances where the script was flipped without one of the wrestlers knowing about it, took place in 1997 and is known as the Montreal Screwjob. Yep. WWE superstar Bret the Hitman Hart was going to leave the WWF for rival WCW, mm -hmm. and Vince and the select few decided that they were going to strip Hart of his belt before he left. Yep. The match was going on as planned until Shawn Michaels put Bret Hart in his own finishing move called the Sharpshooter, and the referee Earl Hebner magically woke up after getting knocked out and signaled that Hart had submitted when in fact he had not. Oh, no. Yeah, the way the match was supposed to play out Hart was going to reverse the move. The match would have continued for about another five minutes and then ended in a disqualification, letting Hart retain his title. Vince couldn't stand the fact that his champ was about to leave for his competitor, 
so he decided to screw him over and make sure he didn't have his heavyweight champion embarrass him on the way out. Also, an important fact here, where is Brett the Hitman Hart from? Canada. It was in his hometown, yep. right in front of oh, all the fans. Oh, man. Yep. That's where the whole Hart family is Canadian, and yep. that's where they kind of got their roots. So there's a lot of speculation as to who knew about what, but Shawn Michaels, McMahon, and the referee, Earl Hebner, definitely knew what was up. Mm-hmm. And they said Earl Hebner, as soon as he got up, rang the bell, he sprinted yeah, fucking from the ring. Out of here, got the hell out I'm of out of here. here. Fuck this shit. Yep. He's coming for me. Yeah, Brett Hart was pissed. Super pissed. Oh, yeah. Well, think about it. You know, you think you know what's going to happen. You're going to you know, kind of have a, a ride into the sunset. You'll be the champ. Go switch organizations. Mm-hmm. But Vince wasn't having it. Well, prior to that, how was their relationship? Like, was it tumultuous or like between Vince and... Not not really. Um, a, I think it was just a standard contract ending and he was going to go to WCW. That was it. Yeah, they didn't renew his contract. And um, the thing was the money. Yeah. Because at that time, Ted Turner was paying these guys out the nose to switch right. over. Yeah. Because right around there, Nitro is what WCW's big yep. show was called. Actually took over in the ratings. That's right. For a couple years from McMahon's show Raw. years. Which yeah. Okay. Huge. Okay. So you saw a lot of these superstars from the WWE. WWF going over to WCW and Vince had pretty much had enough of it and was like, all right, here's what will happen if you do it on my watch. Well, and another thing is that Vince wanted Bret Hart to pull an entire plate of poutine out of JR's ass and he refused to do (laughs) it. (laughs) Cheese curds and all. Mm -hmm. So this is another classic McMahon story. According to a Riches.com article, Vince McMahon fired wrestler CM Punk on his wedding day. (laughs) Granted, Punk had recently walked out on WWE on a pretty negative terms. He still had a contract with the company that was fully planned on renewing after recharging his batteries and taking time off to be with his new bride. However, instead of giving Punk this opportunity, McMahon waited until the day of his nuptials and faxed over termination papers, doing the best to ruin the happiest moment of the guy's life. That's some big dick Jeez. energy right there, bro. Yeah. Right? McMahon, God. Yeah. McMahon later claimed that it was just unfortunate coincidence. And CM Punk said, yeah, that ain't happening. That's definitely not a possibility. Uh-huh. So the next couple of instances show McMahon's love for women half his age and how he would look to use his power to either get what he wanted or get ratings or both. According to a The Things article... One of the horrible Vince McMahon moments came when he had Trish Stratus stripped down and bark like a dog on Raw. The storyline saw him abusing his power, and many viewed him as crossing the line with such an inhumane idea. He literally had this lady stripped down to her bra and underwear, Mm -hmm. get on her hands and knees, and bark like a dog. WWE tries to hide this clip from historical looks back since it was, they call it, one of the all-time awful errors in judgment. Hmm. Yeah, you think? Yeah. So Stratus was one of the WWE's biggest female stars and was also rumored to have a real-life extramarital affair with McMahon. This is also something that he's admitted to. He's admitted to cheating on his wife, Linda, throughout their marriage, but claims to have stopped sleeping with other women around 1995. Yeah. Right. So they got married. He was he graduated in 1968, so he cheated on his wife for good. Hmm. Almost 30 years. Yeah. Still, I mean, hold on, but Trish Stratus was only in the WWE for, she wasn't around in 95. That's what uh, he said in the in the Playboy interview is he stopped about six years ago and the interview was in 2001. Yeah, but Trish Stratus was, as far as I understand, was oh, so, probably later down the line. Yeah. And so, there's a lot of rumors about, uh, if you go and, and look at some of the stories, 
it claims that a lot of the female talent that wound up going to either the WWE Hall of Fame yeah, yeah. or winning championship belts. Yeah. They, There's a price to pay. Absolutely. And that price was this is actually going down a, on a six-year-old man. This is an extremely common theme that we cover on this show. Yeah, with these the power play. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not just Harvey Weinstein or Steven Seagal. It's pretty much any dude that has any sort of leverage over chicks going to be like, well, you want that belt, don't you? Right. Then remove this belt, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> God damn. Men really are fucking pieces of shit. I'm telling you. We don't have a plethora of, like, women tales like this, you know, where the men just had to suck it up and, you know. No. I think it'd probably be a little bit different, though, you know? I don't think many men tell those stories, honestly. No. Like, I fucking slept with my boss, bro. Can you believe yeah. this Actually, shit? they do tell their buddies. <laughs> They're like, yeah. I don't know. Dude, my boss started coming on to me and I banged her on her yeah, desk. It was, it was insane, man. Did you get a raise? Yeah, I got like 25 cents extra an hour, dude. It's fucking awesome, man. Another brilliant idea that McMahon had was used to somehow think that necrophilia was okay. What? WWE introduced a backstory of Kane, one of their wrestlers, accidentally killing his high school sweetheart in a drunk driving accident. Oh. This somehow evolved into Triple H wearing a Kane mask and humping a dummy in a casket that was implied to be Kane's girlfriend. <laughs> what? I swear to God, I've seen the video. Sources reveal this is 100% Vince's idea. So it is a dummy in a casket, and he gets in the casket, spreads the dummy's legs, and acts like he's... Yep. Okay, hold on. I have so many things to say about this. Yeah, I have <laughs> yeah. I have a couple questions. Let me start with this one. Is the story true about... Not at all. Okay. Not at all. That makes this a lot different. Yeah. Okay. If it yes. had been, you're like, God almighty. All right, so the necrophilia is pretty gross and weird. It does seem like, uh, you know, at that point he's making like a very personal slight, which is supposed to make Kane super angry. And Kane is like a dark lord of whatever. Right. It sounds like they're sitting around getting fucking hammered and they're like, yeah. man, what's the craziest thing we could do? What if Think they can kiss my ass again? He's like, how about if they hump a dead body? And they're like, we love it. <laughs> we love it. So we've seen a few examples of Vince using his power to have his female talent either embarrass themselves or the company. But outside the fake world of wrestling, McMahon did find himself in trouble with another woman. According to the Daily Beast, in January 2006, a young worker at a tanning salon in Boca Raton, Florida, told the police that an older man had sexually harassed her at work. The woman said that a customer of the tanning salon identified as Vince McMahon. Shocker that he goes to a tanning bed, huh? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. In Boca Raton. Yeah. Just go outside! <laughs> <laughs> She claimed that uh, he showed her nude and semi-nude photos of himself on his phone, <laughs> later locking her in a tanning room with her, groping her, and attempting to kiss her. The man attempted to dismiss this behavior as just trying to have some fun, Aww. but the salon worker was quite understandably shocked and stumbled to a nearby Papa John's in tears, telling the staff that a man had just tried to attack and rape her. The Boca Raton police believe they had more than enough to issue an arrest warrant, and as Deadspin describes, the original police report even says that there is probable cause to believe that Vince McMahon did actually and intentionally touch the woman against her will. However, this all went nowhere. Some unconfirmed news reports at the time said that the state's attorney's office refused to charge McMahon because the evidence was insufficient and the case seems to be thoroughly closed as far as the law is concerned. He paid her. In accordance to Florida state law, the records and files have been destroyed. He paid her out. Yeah. He paid her out. 
Hey guys, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please do us a favor and share or repost our show on your favorite platform. We love and appreciate the support. Now, back to the action. So the next few stories show that McMahon does like to cut loose sometimes, and some of his antics were pretty funny. One story on Reddit said that once Vince went bowling with someone, might have been an NBC executive, the guy had done something Vince didn't like. Obviously, since they were bowling, they were in bowling shoes. Vince snuck off, got the guy's real shoes from behind the counter, tossed them in the garbage can, and left. The guy had no idea where his real shoes were, and he had to go home wearing the gross bowling shoes. I bet those weren't cheap <laughs> shoes either. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Vince later contacted him and said, that's what you get, pal. The guy wrote a book and said that Vince was the biggest jerk he'd ever met in real life. Huh. He does kind of seem like that annoying prankster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. This is, a, this is a good lead into this one. Another thing about Vince that probably isn't like other billionaire CEOs he likes fart jokes. Yeah. And one time, his fart joke went very sideways on him. His right-hand man was a guy by the name of Pat Patterson that I mentioned earlier. Patterson has been in wrestling for decades, and Vince knew that the smell of farts would make his stomach weak and sometimes make him puke. Oh, see, now the thing with farts is the sound is funny. The smell is not funny. Very true. Yeah, right? Speaking of which, one time my brother-in-law, when we were on a um, road trip, we ate a bunch of McDonald's and then like we we're driving down the road and straight up, man, he just locked all the windows up and started going to town farting on everybody. It was rough. Not a fan of that. If you yeah. want to rip a huge fart that's real loud and funny like a movie fart, dude, I'll laugh all day. But if you're trying to like give me a Dutch oven, man, I will kill you. We'll fight. Yeah, we'll <laughs> fight. It's different. So McMahon decided he was going to rip a fart in old Pat's face just before he was going to go out into the ring and do his thing. He walked up to Patterson, who was sitting down, and let out what he thought was going to be a nice, stinky fart in his friend's face. We've all had that moment where you realize that the fart you're getting ready to unleash may have a little bit more behind it. (laughs) Well, Vince didn't hold back and wound up shitting his pants just moments before having to go out into the ring. His sweet, sweet pinstripe slacks. Knowing he didn't have time to change, McMahon went out anyway with a visible shit stain on the back of his pants. No, he didn't. Okay. The cameraman knew better than to embarrass their boss and kept all the shots above the waist for TV. Weak. Another odd thing about McMahon is that Vince McMahon apparently hates sneezing. Oh, weird. I heard about this. Yeah, he sees people who sneeze as weak. Oh my fucking God. Like they can't control their body, so they must be weak. That's exactly right. He believes that wrestlers should be able to control what they're doing. Says the man who shit himself. The man who... Thank you. At perfect point. It's weak to sneeze, but he shit his pants. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Yeah, exactly. Paul Heyman was the man that revealed this insane story as he once sneezed and ended up being told off by the WWE chairman because of it. Heyman also admitted that if Vince ends up sneezing that you should stay away from him because he ends up getting very angry that he couldn't stop it from happening. So he truly believes you shouldn't be able to control yourself well enough not to sneeze. That is psychotic. Yeah. What kind of mentality is that? Like, man, it's a really good day. You know, I'm just having a good... Oh my God, motherfucker! Get the fuck away from me! I honestly feel like he's playing a joke on Paul Heyman and being like, this is like a real big deal to me, but he's probably like, this is fucking bullshit. Uh, there's else. multiple stories about really? him hating sneezing. Yeah, That's sneezing so strange, is his thing. Dude. You can't do it. Yeah. So there are many other rabbit holes that we could go down with Vince, and uh, many have been well documented, such as a steroid trial in June of 1994. 
But knowing what we know about pro wrestling, a lot of the stuff that seemed real fucked up was agreed on by the participants. Except the claims of sexual assault, of course. So the barometer we use here seems to be, did they kill anyone? And personally, Vince has never killed anyone. Although, he has been accused of helping Jimmy Superfly Snuka cover up the death of his then-girlfriend in a hotel room. Oh. The rumor was that Vince told Snuka to act more like his wrestling character, a big dumb oaf who had a hard time understanding English, and to let Vince do a lot of the talking. Snuka was never convicted of the murder, but the victim's family did win a civil suit against him for wrongful death. Oh, so she was murdered. She didn't just die in a hotel She room. died of blunt force head trauma. And the way the story goes is Snuka told people they were um, going down the road and she had to pee real bad. So he pulls over for her to pee. And when she was walking back to the car, she slipped and hit her head real bad. Um, okay. They get back to the hotel room. He said they were kind of playing around. And um, he kind of playfully shoved her, and she hit her head again on, like, a nightside tail or something. Yeah, that sounds suspect as shit. Yeah. He claims that she was very lucid when he left because he had to go do a taping. But when he came back, she was in the bed with fluid coming out of her mouth and nose. And Points just went up, boys. Uh, Big time. Yeah, right. uh, He called the cops, but, yeah, he never got convicted, but he did lose the civil suit and had a $500,000 judgment put against him. But he claimed he was broke and never paid the settlement. Did y'all ever hear about he would like do wrestling matches in planes, like in the middle of like just going somewhere? Oh, there's a couple good stories about that. Like in standard commercial flight? No, private jet. Oh, yeah, private jet. Yep. So one of the big claims was that Chris Jericho, who's a big, you know, he's been around for a long time. Yeah. He tells people if Vince were to insult you, you would have to stand up to him and physically fight him for him to respect you. Wow. Yeah. Prison so, rules. Yeah. So there was a guy, um, his mind is slipping me right now, but um, Vince had started to insult him on the plane and Jericho told him straight up, hey man, you need to go stand up to him right now mm-hmm. and um, went up to Vince McMahon and essentially they started fighting right outside the airplane. Wow. He didn't get fired and he actually rose in the ranks of the WWE because they felt like that is what McMahon gave him respect for. That's interesting. I mean, that's just... That's weird. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And then there was the Kurt Angle. They basically got into a uh, wrestling match on the plane. And Vince, you know, it, it, Kurt was a fucking Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. You know, oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, Vince was not. And he knew that he was, you know, barking up the wrong tree, but they still wrestled. And uh, funny enough, the Undertaker was sleeping when it happened. And he woke up and just kind of saw what was going <laughs> he on. He sat up like Undertaker style out of the casket. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And he started choking out Kurt Angle because he thought that he was really going after Vince. And uh, they kind of had to, like, talk him down real quick. He said, I've got you, boss. He's like, <laughs> the Undertaker is like Smithers to fucking McMahon's burned. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good analogy. But yeah, that's exactly yeah. the story is the Undertaker woke up, saw Kurt Angle manhandling his boss and went over there and choked him out. Damn. Yeah. On the airplane. Like, this is all in the middle Imagine of the Imagine being the pilot. He said, uh... <laughs> We're about to experience some turbulence. Uh, serious uh, WWE uh, wrestling event is about to occur in the back. So if you could please just buckle up and we should be landing in Los Angeles here shortly. <laughs> or the Undertaker's like yelling out to the pilot, you're about to experience some turbulence, you know, and Aww. slam somebody. Yeah. Who is the Undertaker? Paul Bear. <laughs> That's fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. So all in all, McMahon definitely isn't your normal guy, as most billionaires aren't. But at the end of the day, 
my final asshole rating score for Vince McMahon is a 6.0. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So for a final asshole score on Vince McMahon, I mean, everything that we've talked about today, I mean, there are a couple instances that kind of, eh, it seems like a little bit of a jerk, but I don't know if he's really like an overall asshole in my book. I think that for me, it seems like he's just a pretty smart businessman who really just really capitalized on something that he was in. And I mean, good on him. But I don't know if that really makes him an asshole. So from everything that I've heard, I'm not really convinced. My original asshole score for him was a 4.5. I'm going to go up just a little bit based on what we've heard tonight. But uh, my final asshole score for Vince McMahon is a 5.0. All right. 5.0 for Buddy. Mikey, what you got? Uh, So, you know, it's weird because uh, everything we've heard is pretty low on the scale compared to the stuff that we've dealt with with some other show subjects. There's probably more to it. It's tough to say, like I said. So the things that he did on the surface seem, you know, pretty, I don't know, mundane, benign, what have you. But again, the thing is that a lot of times is in these situations where someone has a power position over somebody else, they sort of implicitly leverage that power over somebody to do things that they don't want to do. That's going to come into play. But I think the big points for me is going to be the Jimmy the Fly Snooker case where it sounds very much so that instead of sort of uh, letting one of his wrestlers go down for something that he should have gone down for, he protected his asset. And I think that's really bad. Again, it's all alleged. We don't know what the, the, the whole case was, but I mean, the story sounds like total bullshit. Then also you're dealing with the fact that, you know, when you're at that level, like billionaire level or something like that, where you have so much power over other people, it's almost like they come into a different sort of scale of their own. They all sort of act this way, it seems like, because they have so much power over other people. I, I mean, I think I'm going to go along with Randy on this one, though. I'm going to bump it up to a six. It sounds about right to me. There may be worse, but you know what? I'll tell you what. I'm going to give him a 6.25 because I do feel like he helped Jimmy the Fly Snooker get out of a murder rap that he probably should have caught. So that's my score. All right. So with a 5.0 from Buddy, a 6.0 from Randy, and a 6.25 from Mikey. Vince McMahon's overall asshole score is a 5.75. All right, 5.75, final asshole score. Fairly right. fairly tame score. Yeah, I mean, everything we heard, it was, I mean, there's some pretty funny shit in there, I guess. No, so. absolutely. It almost sounds like to me that he's kind of more like this like college frat guy who yeah. started a business that just, I mean, it's just crazy. And he gets to sit around with his buddies and be like, what's the craziest thing we can come up with? Yes, that's it. Let's do it. Yeah. And they got to do it. And yeah. I mean, make millions. I mean, he's, he's a billionaire now. Yeah, yeah. even billions mm-hmm. off of it. Yep. So. Absolutely. Awesome. We hope you guys enjoyed our show. During this time, we are always going to tell you guys, stay safe out there. Do what you got to do to protect yourselves and your family. We absolutely appreciate all the support that we've been shown and definitely want to you know, encourage you guys to go out there, like us on your social media platforms, hit us up on uh, whatever podcast platform you download us and give us that sweet follow and an awesome review. Always much appreciated. It does make a difference. Again, thank you for all your support. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. It's been another episode of... Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to hear more of Asshole Court, find us anywhere you download your favorite podcasts. Give us a good rating on your favorite platform. It really does help. You'll definitely want to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at AHC Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. 
depending on what you have to say. So, until next time, remember the golden rule, and don't be an asshole, or you might find yourself on Asshole Court.